Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. This morning, we uh, just want to share something with you this morning on the lines of lost and found. Who's ever uh, lost something? Who's lost a pet? Hands up if you lost a pet, dog or a cat. Keep your hand up if you found it again. A lot of hands just went down. That's a bit sad. Who felt fantastic when they lost their pet, which they loved, and they found it again? What did it make you feel like? You found felt great? Awesome. I found it. Who's ever lost uh, some money or jewelry? <laughs> and who's ever lost it but then found it again? Oh, a bit more hand. That's good. More hands. People obviously lost more pets than jewelry, and uh, and you know. And so, if you've lost something like that, it's like oh, and especially if it's a lot of money or valuable, uh, you're like oh, you know, I've got to find this thing, and you do all you can to find it. Who's ever lost a person? Oh, there's that's the most hands. That's a bit scary, actually. Who's who was it? Their child. Put your hand up to your child. Yes. Who found their child again? Most hands stayed up. That's good. Hopefully, they all stayed up. We lost. We lost our son once, and um, in Target, and uh, when he was very young. And so we were looking everywhere for Riley, and so we we're looking. And eventually, we find him. We found. We started looking under things, through things. And Riley is climbed into a clothes rack, uh, a big one. And all you could see is from here down, two legs in the middle of the rack. And he's just standing there in the middle of the rack thinking this is great fun standing in the middle of all these clothes. And you couldn't find him, but um, we found him. And uh, he just thought it was a bit of fun and a bit of a game. And Emma was about to go ring the police. And so, but anyway, we found Riley, so it was all good. So we've all experienced lost and found. There's a story, there's three stories in the Bible. I want to read all three today. A lot of the time we just read one of these stories and that is the uh, story of the lost son or the loving father or the prodigal son. But there's two stories that are before that story and Jesus told them all together and you're actually meant to read them all together. You're not meant to read just one of them because they all make sense when you read them all together together in the context of what's going on. So today, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so I want to uh, set this up and, uh, and I want to put you in the picture as if you are there with Jesus listening to these stories. And it says this in it's the whole chapter of Luke 15. It's not a long chapter, verses 1 to 32. And it starts this, like there's many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them um, all to come to him. And the Amplified Version says, he says he eats with them. So Jesus not only just hung out with them, but he invited them to have a meal with all these notorious sinners, all these people that did terrible things wrong. So we're going to put ourselves in the picture today, and I'm going to divide you into three groups. So on this, this side here, on my right, your left, uh, we are going to have the uh, experts in the law and the Jewish religious leaders. So all of you are experts in the law, Jewish religion, I'm sorry if that offends you in any way, this is only, a, this is only illustration, don't worry, it's not real, but that's who you are on this side. Um, on, the, on my left hand side here, your right, you are all notorious sinners. Shame on you. 
So notorious sinners, you, you, this side here doesn't like these people here. Thinks they Jesus shouldn't be hanging around with these people. Okay, but there's going to be no fights. There's going to be no argument. Okay, we're all going to be nice. And but in the middle here, you've got like just ordinary people. You maybe a bit of both. Maybe sometimes you're a notorious sinner. Maybe sometimes you're a bit religious. I don't know. But sometimes you just can't, you're just showing up. You want to hear Jesus. But all of you have come to hear what Jesus has to say. And so Jesus hears the religious leaders, experts in the law, start grumbling about the notorious sinners and starts to say things about them. So then he shares these three stories. So I want you, as we read these stories, to have in the context of who Jesus is talking to. So in response, Jesus gave them this illustration. There was once a shepherd with a hundred lambs. But one of these lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued in the same way. There will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents. Come back home and returns to the fold. More so than for all the righteous people who never strayed away. So this is the first thing he talks about. He doesn't take questions after that. He just flows into the next story. But remember, he's talking to these three kind of groups of people and he shares that. Now, he shared that story because owning sheep or lambs was very common. Most people listening probably owned some or many or whatever it may be. They all owned animals of some kind. It represented their income or their business or their job. The lamb was valuable to the shepherd. It's so valuable that he leaves the 99 other lambs in the sheep pen, you know, where they're, where they're safe. And they're sitting there and he goes and find, looks for this one lamb, which means it was very valuable to the shepherd. And so to leave the 99 and look for the one. And so what a shepherd would do, if you don't realize, he'd have a shepherd's staff. And when he, if a lamb would run away, he would had a way of teaching a lamb not to run away again. And so he would go and they would find the lamb and he would take his staff and he'd whack its leg and partially break the lamb's leg. I know, bad, isn't it? If it was RSPCA around those days, Jesus would be in big trouble. Shepherds would be in big trouble. And he did that and then what he did, what the story says, he grabs the lamb and puts the lamb on his shoulders because the lamb can't walk properly anymore. And he carries that lamb around, walks back, and, and then for the next number of weeks or whatever it may be, he has the lamb on his shoulders and has the lamb close to him. And eventually the lamb can then, he can put the lamb on the ground and the lamb can walk. And the lamb learns to love the shepherd so much that the lamb never, ever runs away again. So when it says in this story that Jesus puts, when the shepherd puts the lamb on his shoulders and walks back, that shepherd actually would have whacked it in the leg, just enough, enough injury for it to not be able to just run away. 
but the lamb would have grown to love the shepherd. So that's that. So all the people that are listening to Jesus understood all these things. We don't live like we don't own sheep, and we don't have a staff, and we don't go breaking sheep's legs and lambs' legs these days. And so, but in those days, they understood those things. So when Jesus says those things, sometimes the Bible doesn't explain every detail because the people listening understood all those background details because they lived that way. And so. That's what was happening. So he had, paints his picture. Lamb is so valuable. He, he puts the lamb on his shoulder, takes it back. And it says there was a great celebration, which again showed the value of the lamb. And so there's this massive celebration over one lamb. And so Jesus was making a point saying this lamb is so valuable that he gave all his friends, all his neighbors, all the people, and had this massive celebration party. There would have been a meal. They probably ate lamb. I don't know. But there would have been a meal. And so... Jesus then relates the entire illustration back to people. And with every one of these stories, he relates, he uses something they know about, sheep, animals, whatever it may be, and he relates it back to people. A person who is lost and then found, he talks about a sinner, a notorious sinner, who maybe, you know, is lost but is then found because God's kingdom is all about people. So everything Jesus talks about, every story, every parable, everything he shares, he relates it back to people and relates it back to the kingdom of God. Then he talks about a second story. Jesus gave them another parable. There once was a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins, each one equal to a day's wages, if you do some research on it. So one of those coins, maybe let's say $100 a coin, okay? $1,000 a week, say $100 a coin. So they're valuable, each valuable coin. When she lost one of them, she swept her entire house, diligently searching for every corner of the house for that one lost coin. Maybe like when you lost a piece of jewelry or money, you just went, I need to find this now. Life stops until I find this thing. Where is it? When she finally found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I've lost my precious silver coin, but now I've found it. That's the way. Now, that's the story, then he relates it back to people. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents. Then it goes a bit deeper. If you, if you read the Amplified, then it talks about what that repentance actually means. And it means this, that is, changes his inner self, his old way of thinking, regrets past sins, lives his life in a way that proves repentance and seeks God's purpose for his life. So Jesus then expands it a bit more. And so when he, when he says repentance, that's what he meant. And turns to him, it says. He says to all the all these angels, let's have a joyous celebration for the one who was lost, I have found. So suddenly we've got two celebrations happening. We're talking about it's in this one story. We've got the celebration, she's found the coin, got all her neighbors, friends together, having a celebration. And then Jesus relates a celebration then back to a kingdom where someone who was lost, someone who was, um, you know, away from God, their life, living a life of sin and just a terrible life, they suddenly turn and come back to him and explains, you know, what repentance means. And then it says, in heaven, there's a celebration for one, for one person that does that. Turns to the angels and said, let's celebrate because that one person has come back. So then, but this story goes a little bit deeper than that if you understand what the ten coins represent. The ten silver coins were bound together as a dowry. 
a headdress for a woman to wear on her forehead for a wedding day and thereafter. She would wear this piece of jewellery daily even while she slept. And so you may have seen some of those. I think they still use them over in India and places like that. And it's like a headdress that goes around here and the coins would sit around. So there was 10 silver coins and that's what, that's what this is. She'd lost one of them. Okay, This dowry then became the bride's personal property. It formed a financial support for her new family as it could be changed into money in times of need. The silver ornaments on the headdress served as an indicator of the woman's status, showing her wealth and faithfulness. That's why she was so anxious to ensure that every coin was intact and in place. Now listen to this. If the bride used any one of the coins for any financial transactions without the husband's knowledge or approval, it would reflect very badly on her character. Her husband would take this lost coin to be a good reason to divorce her. So that makes the whole story make sense. I need to find this coin. Because the husband may have thought, what, what, maybe she's not telling me the truth. Maybe she's gone and spent it. Maybe she's got some money. Whatever, I don't know. But she said, I need this because without, without that coin, it's not complete. And it's like, you know... It's like, the, you know, you can understand why the celebration it talks about, that getting all her friends, we're going to celebrate, have a party because I found the coin. And so the, the value of the dowry, the value of the 10 was lessened. They still had individual value, but the most value was when it was intact. And so the other point that Jesus is making here is that when Jesus brings the story back to people, he's illustrating that the kingdom of God increases in value with every lost sinner that becomes part of it. So that's why he goes out after the one. That's why he's illustrating and he's illustrating. Remember the people we're talking to here? We've got the notorious sinners over here. We've got the religious people here. We've got people kind of hanging out in the middle here. But they're all listening to Jesus and Jesus is making the point, the value of every person, the value of every notorious sinner or who it may be, the value of every person. And he's talking to everyone, but he's talking to this group of people. He's making a point. The kingdom of God increases in value for every person that enters it. Increases in value every time someone comes into the kingdom. That's why there's a celebration in heaven for just one. Because the, because the kingdom of God increases in value. And then we come to the last story. Which some of you I'm sure have read quite a few times. Maybe heard before, told in different ways. And it's the story of the loving father or the lost son. It can be called the prodigal son, but the loving father or lost son is a better way of saying it. And it says this, Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son, inappropriately, if you look, if you look at what the context is, came to the father and said, Father, you don't think it... Um, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. So this is the youngest son. To do what he did was inappropriate. To do what he did was not normal, okay? Um, so he was basically asking for his inheritance, okay, from the father. In other words, he, it's like he inferred that he wished his father was dead, so he could have his inheritance. Because often after your father would die, that's when you get the inheritance. So he's saying, I want it now. In other words, inferring, you know, it's like, you know, I just I want it in advance or whatever. And, you know, it's kind of inferring, you know, you should be gone now so I can have what is mine. 
And so when you look at that, you think in culture that day, that wasn't a good thing to do. But the father didn't rebuke him. He could have. But he granted his request, which is also a picture of how God allows us to go our own way. I want to go and do my own thing. God doesn't put a wall up in front of you. He says, okay, you can go, you go do that and see how it works out for you. It's life. That's what happens. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings. So he'd already had a plan. He'd already planned it out. I need to get this money and I'm, I'm off. I'm going. I'm going. And so he traveled off to see the world. He journeyed as far up in a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a uh, farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. This boy was a Jew. The worst possible job they could ever have, the most despicable job was to work with pigs. And that's where he ended up. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are so many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? Have you ever been to a pig farm? Before you get to a pig farm, you'll smell it about two kilometers away. I've been on a, a neighbors of ours. We own farms in Victoria. Neighbors of ours had a pig farm. I went there once. Only went there once, and um, and and it was the most smelly stink. I thought, and the pigs love it. The pigs are like, yeah, this is awesome. They're rolling in the mud and the stink. And I'm like, get me out of here. Like it was just a, they just make it the messiest place possible, stinkiest place possible, and the pigs think it's great. And say so if you, I could imagine. And, you know, and that's, this is modern day. In those days, it, I don't know, it could have been worse. I don't know if you get much worse. But he, you know, he's in there. He's feeding the pigs. He's in the pig pen. He's all that, and he would have been smelly, dirty and all. And no one helped him. No one offered to help him at all. And he's in this situation. Someone wrote this once. It says this. Listen to these words. Sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go, and leaves you worse off than you were before. Sin promises freedom, but brings slavery. So the father, he wanted his inheritance. The father says, okay, I allowed him to go. Okay, and he ends up in this situation because he just thought, I'm just going to live a life, do whatever I want to do, and he ends up in this situation. And so we're, see we're seeing the pattern and, the th and thinking of this son. And he says, I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll, say, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the son um, set, set off for home. From a long distance away, the father saw him coming. Dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in, the, in the heart, his heart for his son who was returning home. Now... You have to understand that a few things about this, that for the father to see him coming, it wasn't just like, oh, I might just go out today and see. The implication is the father was out there every day since the son had left, waiting for the son to come home because he, in his wisdom, knew that this, my son, is going to get himself into a whole lot of trouble. It's all going to fall apart, but I'm going to be here ready for when he comes home. And so he's out there looking and he sees his son 
coming, returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. Another cultural thing about that is that fathers in those days never ran. It was, it was not dignified to run. But Jesus makes the point of saying this father ran to show the extravagant love that he had for his son. Because this story is not just about people. This story is about God himself who is the father and us as the son. And so Jesus is making this point. Remember with the religious leaders on one side. This is how you think of other people, religious leaders. The notorious sinners are sitting there thinking and Jesus is saying, this is how much God loves you. And the people in the middle are like, this is awesome. Let's just keep listening. And so he's sharing this story. So the father raced out to meet him and he swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. Now remember, the son smelt like a pig. He did. He's, he's, he's like his shredded clothes, old clothes, no shower for weeks or whatever it may be, covered in pig muck, food, mud, whatever, and he's been walking all the way, bare feet, all the rest of it, and he comes and hugs him and kisses him, and Jesus makes a point of how much love the father has for the son. Then the son says, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be your son. Just let me be. He says, just let me be a servant. Just let me do I'll be the lowest of the low. That'll be better than where I was just at. But it says the father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. So he said the best robe was the robe the father had. And he said, get that for my son right now. He gave him a robe because the robe was a sign of dignity and honor, proof of the son's acceptance back into the family. So he got him a robe. Next thing he says, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring your ring. The ring is a seal of sonship and also authority in the family. So he gets him the ring. It's a, it's a family ring. And he puts the ring on the son's finger. And he says, bring me out the best shoes you can find for my son. Remember, he's in bare feet. Get me the best shoes you can find for my son. It was a sign of not being a servant as servants did not wear shoes. So all the other servants around had no shoes on. But he said, my son is not a servant, he's my son. So the, one of the first three things he did was a robe, a ring, and he put shoes on his feet to show everyone else that this son is not a servant, he's my son whom I love. And he gives all these things to his son. In other words, he became the guest of honor and he says, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. Now another version, if you read the Amplified Version, it says they brought out the fattened calf for the celebration. The powerful thing about this is, is about the fattened calf being involved in Jesus mentioning, mentioning this is this, that fattened calves in those times were saved for special occasions such as the Day of Atonement where sin was paid for. So they killed the fattened calf for the feast, which means blood was shed and shed blood equaled atonement for sin. And all these leaders, all these people, Sitting there, the religious leaders especially knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. They knew all the laws. They also knew that according to the law, if the son had done that, the penalty was death. That when he came home, the fa- he should have been taken and killed for what he did. He was, he was off sleeping with prostitutes and doing terrible, despicable things against, you know, broke, if they want to pull out the law, he broke them all. And so he's, he's the lowest of the low. But instead, the father brings out the fattened 
calf and sheds its blood so it atones for the son's sins. There's also a picture of what Jesus was going to do. And, he, and instead of a funeral for her son, they had a celebration because the son was home. And then it says this, For the beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He once was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. And before we finish, though, we're just going to talk about this one, talk about the last part of this story. But if worship team, if you want to come on up. Now, the older son was out working in the field. You could have ended the story there and like, yeah, this is good. But there's the older son working out in the field. When his brother returned, uh, when his brother returned, as he approached the house, he heard music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said father listen how many years have I been working like a slave for you performing every duty you ever asked as a faithful son and I've never once disobeyed you but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now but look at this son of yours he comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him in other words the older son could not see the goodness of his father The older son had all of this available to him the whole time, but he couldn't see it. He couldn't see how good, how loving and kind and merciful the father was. the, The father wanted the oldest brother to be there because it would have been his job to sit at the head of the table and welcome the son back in, his younger brother back into the family. But he was so uptight about not getting what he deserved and I've done all this and I haven't had any recognition and all. And it's all about me, it's all about me. And he saw beyond the point of what his father was actually doing. And then the father says, my son, you're always uh, with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone. But now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he's found. So the grace of the father overshadowed the sinfulness of the son. It was the memory of the father's Remember, He's sitting in the pig pen and what does he do? It's the memory of the father's goodness that brought the son to repentance. He remembered how well he treated his servants. And he remembered how good his father was. And that's a picture of we can think how good our heavenly father is. And when you understand how the goodness of God, it it caused the son to come back and to repent and say, if I just go back, I know he's a good father. Have you ever wondered why the bit about the older brother was in there? Remember, who's Jesus talking to in the crowd? Who do you think he's talking to? directly in that in sharing that last part about the older brother he's talking to the religious leaders he's talking to the ones that are like saying like talking you know to these people saying you know these these notorious sinners over here they don't deserve any kindness they don't deserve any grace they're the lowest of the low they're the they don't deserve it because they're so bad and we are so good like the older brother going, oh, I've done everything right. 
I've obeyed you. I've done everything right. And blah, blah. And so that was like, and Jesus is directly talking to the religious. I can imagine him sitting there looking at them. And they're sitting there going, either getting mad or convicted or whatever. They still went on and took him to the cross and killed him. So maybe a few of them got mad. But Jesus was speaking the truth. So through the three stories, Jesus spoke to every single group of people. He basically said to the religious leaders, no, you've got it wrong. He says to the notorious sinners that you are so loved that don't ever think you can't be accepted into God's kingdom. And he talked to everyone in the middle that overlapped those two. After each story, there was a celebration. And when they celebrated in those days, there was always a meal or feast. It was also a way of saying, I accept you and I don't judge you. That's why Jesus went and had a meal with sinners and people that were notorious for doing the wrong thing. So Jesus made a point in each story about sharing a meal and celebrating with those that were lost or notorious sinners because it was the very thing that the religious leaders were complaining about. The very thing that they were saying, grumbling about, he goes and has a meal with them. So then in every story, Jesus adds a meal at the end of it, deliberately just to tick them off a little bit more. In other words, he's saying, he's, what he's saying is, you guys should be having meals with these guys. The religious leader, you should be the ones inviting them into your house and accepting them and then they'll find life, they'll find forgiveness, they'll find mercy. But they were so religious and so set in their ways that they didn't want to go near them because they thought that their sin would corrupt them. Where Jesus understood the life and power, his life and power that he carried was greater than any sin, so he'd walk in any sinful situation and transform it because no sin would have any effect on him. And the last thing is this. He's effectively saying, this is how my kingdom works. This is what God is like, he's saying through these whole stories. Then this one last thought. In each of the three stories, we see a progression of relationship. In the first story, it's one in a hundred. He goes and looks for the one in a hundred. In the second story, he goes and finds one in ten. And the last story he goes and finds one. He's deliberately sharing it that way. So it's not like you're, just like you're not just in a number. He goes and makes it personal. And he shared the longest story is the story about the one. About the per- he's, in other words, God's saying, I personally, if you're the only one, I would go after you. And it's not, it's no different. No different today. Jesus is going after the ones. He's leaving whoever he needs to leave to go find the one because it's personal. It's one on one. Why don't you stand this morning? I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you're a notorious sinner. I don't know. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you feel like you're away from God. Maybe you feel like you just don't know Jesus. But I hope today you understand there's a Heavenly Father. There's a God that loves you so much that if you're the only one in this room today that doesn't know Him, that he's, then it's all about you. He's, he's come to find you. He's opening his arms to you. He's out there looking for you, waiting for you to come. He's waiting for you to come home and saying, here, I'm looking, I'm looking. And when he sees you, he's not going to walk. He's going to run to you. 
maybe you're here today and maybe you're a bit like maybe like the older brother and you're kind of like at times in your life you're kind of like going they they don't deserve that how come how come they've got you know how come they god's doing that in their life and how come god looks like god's showing favor on them and what what about me maybe you've been caught up like that and maybe god just wants to readjust your heart today and maybe you're a bit in the middle maybe you're not either of those but as you hear those stories, your heart's saying, oh, I just, that just helps me to love people even more. I just want to have the heart that God has for people. So with every eye closed before we finish today, I want to ask a question and say, if you are away from God, maybe you feel like you're lost and you don't know God. You feel like it's the stuff in your life that you're doing, you know, that's not right. But today you can come to Jesus and he'll say, I'll forgive you. Like the son came home and the father forgave him, he'll come and God will forgive you in a moment. Forgive you in a moment. And if that's you today, say, that's me, I need to come home today. I need to just surrender my life and ask for forgiveness. And God will forgive you with one prayer, with one word, with one step of faith. And if that's you, just put your hand up today and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Anyone today, maybe you've done this a long time ago, maybe you've gone off and done your own thing, but today's a brand new day. Maybe you need to reaffirm that, hey, I want to know, I want to know that I'm loved. I want to know that I'm forgiven. Anyone need to do that today? They're the first time. Maybe today you've struggled with maybe loving people. Maybe you've struggled that you've seen people that have, you know, their lives are a bit of a mess and you've struggled having that heart of love like God has for them. But you're saying, God, I need you to soften my heart. I need you to soften my heart for people. You want to have a heart of compassion. You want to have a heart that reaches out and, and you want to know how to those accept those people and love those people and, and do something to help them. And, and like those religious leaders struggle with accepting those people that were to seem like they were just doing the wrong thing where Jesus accepted them so easily and you're saying, I want to be like Jesus is and just have a love and a care for them. That might mean you're praying for them. That might mean you're reaching out. That might mean you're helping them in some way. You may know people like that. There might be people like that in your family and you're saying, God, give me a heart for them. Give me compassion for those that are broken and lost. And if that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to come at the front, but if that's you, just raise your hand wherever you Eyes closed because I love to Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.